Hello and welcome back to my podcast, the second Sunday of Lent. So I hope you have been able to begin your Lenten practices of prayer, fasting, penance and almsgiving, and have found a good pattern and habit to those. Today the Gospel reading is the Transfiguration of the Lord, always a moving event to reflect upon. But I want to start with the first reading of today's Mass, which is the sacrifice of Isaac. As we Christians look back at the Old Testament, we see that God carefully, methodically and gradually prepared humanity for the coming of his Son. Now part of this preparation was to provide signals about Christ that would be understood only after he came. When he did come, we know that Jesus instructed the apostles separately from the crowds to prepare them to understand what he was going to do and what was going to happen to him. We know that on the road to Emmaus, Jesus explained all the Old Testament references to him, to Cleopas and his travelling companion. And during the 40 days after the resurrection, no doubt Jesus gave the 11 apostles all they needed to know, which would be confirmed and deepened by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Given that the apostles were devout Jews, somewhere in all of this, they understood that the young man, Isaac, son of Abraham, was a type of Christ. The sacrifice of Isaac was to be a pointer forwards into the future to the sacrifice of the only son of God. Abraham's only son, Isaac, was a reflection of God's only son, Jesus. But also what replaced Isaac for the sacrifice was a young ram. And so the future saviour of the world could also be called the Lamb of God. So there is more to the account in the first reading than perhaps first meets the eye and the ear. Now Abraham's being tested by God to do something that was so sorrowful to him and so hard for him was a testing of his faith. And the fact that Abraham was willing to obey God, even though it seemed that God, all that God had promised was about to be taken away, is a great statement of his faith. Obedience in the face of difficulty and seeming contradiction is indeed a virtue. Last week I spoke about sin. Today I would like to speak about virtue, which is the opposite of sin. There are many virtues, but to help us, they're usually grouped into two lists. The three theological virtues and the four cardinal virtues seven being a significant number, both in Christianity and Judaism. The three 
theological virtues are faith, hope and charity. They are called theological because they are given directly by God into the soul at holy baptism. They are not virtues we can give ourselves and neither can we grow in them without the assistance of divine grace. Faith enables us to believe in what God has revealed to us. Hope gives us a desire for and an eagerness for eternal life in heaven. Charity is the virtue by which we love God above all other things and people for his own sake, not for what he might give us, and also to love others for the love of God. The four cardinal virtues are prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance. We can cultivate these by our own willpower and efforts, but God will also help us with actual graces appropriate to each person. All the other virtues that we practice and strive for are grouped under one of these cardinal ones. That's why they're called cardinal. They're the main, the principal ones. For example, Abraham's obedience comes under justice because that is what he owed to God. Prudence is the virtue that directs our actions towards a lawful and good end and also helps us to find the proper means to do it. Justice is the virtue which disposes us to give to others what is owed to them, whether that be material goods or honour and respect. This applies to God too, as I just pointed out about Abraham. And that is why coming to Sunday Mass is an act of justice towards God, as he is owed our worship, our presence and our time. Fortitude makes us courageous to the point of not fearing danger, not even death, in the service of God. This is so evident in the martyrs, who by the grace of martyrdom showed this virtue to an exceptional degree. Lastly, temperance helps us to control our desires that please the senses and helps us to use the things of this world in moderation. Now, here's something of a pivot. What Peter, James and John experienced in the transfiguration of the Lord was an exposure to full and complete virtue. Why do I say this? Because they were granted a vision of Jesus in the glory and the light of his divinity. And since God is all goodness, all beauty, all truth, they saw the totality of virtue, which is holiness. This experience caused them rightful fear, not only because it was unexpected, but also because total goodness is truly awesome. It is totally outside of our experience, of ourselves, and of our life in this world.
the same time it must have been immensely encouraging, particularly in the days after the passion and death of the Lord. But there on the mountain it must have aroused in the three apostles a greater desire for Jesus and a greater desire for holiness. You see, each human heart seeks God, even if the human mind is not aware of it. Let us too, especially in the silence after Holy Communion at Mass, approach the Lord with fear and trembling at his majesty, but also with trust and eagerness that he may lead us deeper into a life of virtue so that we may live a life of more intimate communion with him. And this is holiness, that we might walk in his presence as we said in the psalm, and walk in his presence with confidence, knowing that God the Father will refuse nothing that he could give us through Christ Jesus. Laudetur Jesus Christus.